this episode, we break down our new website, talk to an LFA owner, and discuss what a future Lexus supercar could look like, this week on the Lexus Enthusiast Podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Kevin Watts. I'm the founder of Lexus Enthusiast. Joining me is Michael Pannone, executive editor. Hey, Kevin. Hey, man. How are you? Pretty good. I felt a little bad we didn't do a podcast last week, but uh, it was for good reason. I know. We had some other things going on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We launched last week the latest version of the Lexus Enthusiast website. In a way, it looks very similar to the way that it was, but also at the same time, we did change quite a bit of different things about it. And uh, I'm quite proud of it, building it. Yeah. Yeah. So like this was the 11th time I've redesigned the site since 2007 when I launched. There were times uh, like back in the day when I would build uh, new websites like twice a year, but (laughs) those days are long gone. And I think it was 2018 when we did the last redesign. This iteration was really focused on kind of changing the way the site works in that, you know, the world is different. Uh, Weblogs are different now. It's just not the same landscape as it was when I started the site. You know, you really do have to respect the social media networks in the way that they can uh, drive traffic, get people to engage with the site. So the big focus was to kind of incorporate social functionality within the site. And I think, too, over the last couple weeks and months, as Kevin and I've been working together on Lexus Enthusiast and, you know, spent more time investing in the podcast and we feel like the future for Lexus Enthusiast and for all of you, we'll just say there's a lot of upside. So I think a lot of what Kevin thought through and redesigning the website was how do we build a platform that supports podcasts and social and video and test drives and press cars and a community forum as well. So yeah, like, so I started doing the redesign, I think it was uh, in January. And it's funny because, uh, you know, in my past life before Lexus Enthusiast, I was a web developer. So it was fun, really fun to kind of go back to that, you know, over the last seven months and, and redevelop the site from scratch. And it was a lot of fun. And I'm really, really proud of how it turned out. I think it looks great. <laughs> I mean, I could talk about the new website forever, but that's not what everybody tuned in for. Yeah. So I think we'll just jump right into there is a lot going on with Lexus and YouTube. That is true. We started seeing some IS 500s pop up on YouTube this week. <laughs> and it was funny because they kind of all popped up. Kirk Kreifels had one and then Matt Farah had one. So we were all like, whoa, what's going on with the IS 500s hitting YouTube? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that was really the only place that they showed up. Didn't really see any new coverage, you know, on the main major automotive sites, you know, Motor Trend or or Car and Driver. They're really focusing right now on bringing it to basically YouTubers. Yep. And I think it's a pretty interesting strategy. You know, obviously we're on the list. They're nowhere near us right now. Yeah. There's only a few of them out in the wild right now. I think there's only two on the East Coast. Yeah. So eventually it will come to us. The one that uh, Kirk had was, uh, was Cloudburst Gray. Looked really good. Yeah, it did. It looked awesome. We're supposed to get uh, ours for a couple of days in the month of August, so be tuned in again on social and we'll share pictures and videos and stuff with you guys. I don't know if it'll be the cloudburst gray one or the Grecian water. Did I say that Ooh. right? Yeah, Grecian yeah. water. Yeah, because I think those are the two right now that are making the round. So my fingers crossed. I'm happy with either. It could be pink. I don't care. I'm happy to just grab an IS500. <laughs> I really love that Grecian water color. 
I know you do. Oh, I was I was actually embarrassed on the forums uh, this week. I thought that the IS500 was the only model with it, but it turned out that it's kind of making its way through the rest of the lineup as well. I think the UX and the RX also have it, but it really reminds me of that classic Porsche color. Like mm-hmm. I think that's probably the inspiration behind it. Yeah. And so that's I think that's where in my mind I think that's why I thought it was only on the sports sedan, but but you know what my all-time favorite Lexus color is right now. <laughs> Let's think. <laughs> Infrared. Why is infrared your favorite color right now? Infrared is my favorite color right now because the RC350 F Sport that Lexus gave us to drive is that color. And I mean, every time I see an infrared LC or something, it's definitely like, wow, that's really a stunning car. But when you get used to kind of living with it every day and you walk up to the car at night and in the morning and in a parking lot, like it is another one of those colors, sort of like atomic silver that changes so much depending on lighting and the surrounding conditions. I absolutely absolutely love it. I love it. The the interesting thing about infrared and atomic silver and also ultrasonic blue mica is they all have the a process multi stage. Yeah, yeah, the multi stage process where they're putting layers of silver in with everything like that to give the color a real depth. And you can really see it with all three of those colors. It's no wonder that they're our favorite colors, really. Yeah. So how are you liking that RC? I actually have really enjoyed it. You know, over its life, the RC hasn't really gotten a ton of great press like there's all everybody has something to nitpick like if it's the weight or it should have new engines or the interior when the car came i was kind of like okay cool you know this is really my first time in an rc but let's see how it goes and uh it has really surpassed my expectations actually for a daily coupe that's still fun to drive i'm really enjoying it well i mean and you you do fit the profile of a coupe owner right it does yeah, fit true. probably pretty well in your, into your life true my neighbors have had some questions, though. <laughs> so going from a Forerunner to a GX a couple months ago, a bunch of people were like, wow, OK. Uh, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> yeah, and then all of a sudden this bright red RCF Sport shows up in my driveway. And it was funny because uh, right after they dropped it off, two of my neighbors, actually three of them, came over and they were like, well, did you get another new car? What's going on with this? Like, how does this work? And so I was telling them a little bit about it and they just don't necessarily understand, but they're very much like, this is, this is an interesting look you've got going over here. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think it's also cool because like the guy across the street from me who came over, he owns a BMW, the people who live next door to him have an Audi and they came over and it was sort of interesting. And everybody was like, like the first thing people comment on is the spindle grill. Like the first thing mm. he said was really, you know, this color's beautiful. This car's so pretty. And he's like, how do you, how do you feel about the way it looks? And I was like, I actually really like the way it looks. Both of them were like, yeah, you know, when this grill came out, we weren't so sure about this grill, but you know, here it looks really good because it's kind of layered. And you know, you and I've talked about that where it's like, if you look at the spindle just dead on from the front, you're kind of like, huh. But when you look at it from the side, you kind of see how like the nose of it comes down and then it sort of water falls down into the front end and the bumper. Um, yeah. So everybody was like, yeah, this, this is a really nice car. And the white leather interior is certainly popping too. So <laughs> White leather? Or white new looks, I guess I should say. Oh, white new looks. Oh but gosh. yes, white. The full seats? The seats are completely white. Uh, yeah. And then the doors are like black leather black but with, with white, the white stitching. Oh yeah. my gosh. Somebody must have went out on a limb when they uh, when they did that allotment. They're like, oh, well. right. We'll just get this in white. Why not? Plus, it's all wheel drive. <laughs> so it's like, you know, this bright red, white interior, all wheel drive. Like it's it's a unique RC, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's about one of my only issues with the way the RC looks is the wheel gap on the all wheel drive version is excessive. It's there. 
Yeah, it's there. Yeah, it's there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Perfect way to put it. Yeah, yeah. But how do you find the interior as compared to like the IS? It's really similar. Yeah. Obviously, they're really, really similar. Like as soon as Jackson got in it, you know, because he had an IS that we traded in, in January, he was like, I can't believe this is just like my car. And I was like, yeah, I know you're right. But, you know, it, it really is mostly the same. The 10.3 inch screen with remote touch is definitely nicer than the IS we had. This is also my first time spending a lot of time with remote touch even though i know it's you know now we know it's on the way out yeah so it's been interesting i don't hate remote touch like i some of these reviews that are like you know it's the worst thing ever like burn the whole car down i don't know yeah. if i feel that way but i had a couple cars with it um yeah and i always liked it it was never the optimal way to you know engage with the infotainment system but yeah. at the same time it obviously never prevented me from purchasing a car i never disliked it that much right it's funny you say that like to interact with the car because that's sort of what i was thinking yesterday as i was driving it is all of these systems that aren't touchscreen there's an extra step like there's an intermediary between you and the car and whether it's a knob or a dial or a trackpad like i'm sure some are better than others but it just reminded me of how good lexus interface is and it, when you have something that you can truly just touch and move around the screen and you're not having to go through the intermediary process of spinning or tracking something it'll just be a lot better and a lot quicker and a lot more natural so i'm excited for that just going with that. I think it's funny that Lexus had touchscreens for so long and then did jumped on this sort of me mm -hmm. too, you know, interface within the, the center console. Right. And now we're all back to that. It's <laughs> everything that's old is new again, I suppose. I'll say too, like, you know, we've talked a little bit about how the 22 GX is going to have that new 10.3 inch screen with remote touch. Mm -hmm. Part of me was like, oh, you know, do I want that? Like, am I going to want Apple CarPlay? And definitely, even though the touch screen in the GX is old and it's not that fast and sometimes it can be a little bit slow, I definitely would prefer to just have a touch screen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's just easier. It's just easier. That's all there is to it. So. Oh, so the rumor was that it's going to get remote touch? The GX? Yeah, so the new the 21 GX is going to get and I guess I think it's also going to be touchscreen, but it's going to have mm. remote touch plus touchscreen for the 22 GX with obviously Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. So, yeah, it's the same paradigm as like the LC, LX, the IS and RX. And yeah. Yeah. So as we were talking a little bit before, kind of changing gears, thinking about the new website and thinking about how much Lexus seems to be changing right now, what the future might look like. One of the topics that, you know, has come up in the past is should Lexus ever build another LFA? And, you know, it seems like that rumor comes up every six or eight months. And then there's like a rendering or a drawing or somebody who talked to somebody on the inside. Yeah. And what, what are your opinions on the LFA? Like, should they build another LFA? How did you feel about the LFA? No, tell me. You are definitely setting me up here in terms of <laughs> my rather strong opinions about the LFA. I have to say that the LFA has never been my favorite Lexus. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And I've had a lot of driving time with the LFA, particularly on the track. Mm -hmm. And I also spent a few days with it when I was down in Southern California. And that would have been about 2013. Well, I found that very stressful. And I think a lot of my feelings about the LFA, I'm not really one to like romanticize high performance cars. Mm. And as a rule, I do prefer cars that 
I can aspire to personally. And neither of those things really are the LFA. Mm-hmm. When it debuted, I liked it as a potential roadmap or direction for Lexus, but that really never really shook out. There was such a huge difference in price and performance between the LFA and everything else that was in the Lexus lineup. When you think about price back then, 2010, mm-hmm. it was like $375,000 for the LFA. And then you might break 100 k on an LX or an LS. So you're talking a substantial gap between what the LFA was and what the rest of the Lexus lineup was. And then if you look at it from a performance standpoint, the closest thing in the lineup at that time was the ISF. And those two cars couldn't have been any different. The ISF was a skunk work project. They took an existing IS and just did what they could to it. Whereas the LFA was in development for you know a decade and mm-hmm. it, there was nothing secret. It was a very public development cycle as well. Like we talked about last episode when I was talking about how it's sounded like there was a a can with marbles in the transmission. There was a lot to the LFA that didn't suit Lexus, that wasn't necessarily in line with what Lexus was at the time. I uh, definitely have a different opinion, I think, than most other people, I think, including you. Yeah, I I agree with you a lot, Kevin. And, and I think everybody in the world was watching the development of this car, like you said, in like 07 and 08 and 09, and then it was announced for 2010. And the automotive landscape was so different back then. Do you remember when it first came out? It was compared to the GTR because the GTR was like the king of the road at that point. And I remember it was like considerably more expensive, like three times more expensive than the GTR. And I remember the first motor trend test that came out that compared the two of them. The LFA was ultimately faster, but it was like GTR was like turbocharged all wheel drive. And the LFA was this naturally aspirated rear wheel drive car with a single clutch transmission. And it's funny because that's still so indicative of who Lexus is right now. <laughs> like, you know, the world, the world, the world has gone to turbocharging everything, you know, really for the last 10 years, everything's been turbocharged and downsized and Lexus is still for the most part churning out naturally aspirated engines. We know that's about to change, yeah. but I think I agree with you in the sense that I, I remember when the ISF came out and F was born and there was this real sense of, you know, after a couple fails of things like L tuned and some other stuff, like Lexus was really going to be serious about a performance brand. And then they dropped the ISF and it had this big V8 that had, I think one more horsepower than the M3 at the time, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. Um, Yeah. And so it, all of a sudden it was like Lexus is in the game and they're playing to win. And as exciting as the ISF was, everybody also knew that the LFA, was going to come too. And that time I remember just felt really exciting and really different for Lexus. And if you think back on sort of what the trajectory was there for the next couple of years, it feels a little bit like the ISF and the LFA, especially sort of like wrote checks that Lexus ultimately didn't cash. Yeah. Because there was this really serious like performance focus at Lexus for those years. I mean, that that really was the biggest thing that they had going at that time. And that's when all the rumors were going rampant about like GSFs and LSFs and like, you know, there was gonna, like everything was going to be F. And then I think even in years later, everybody was expecting LC. CF and, you know, there would be FSUVs and it just set a tone for Lexus that didn't really 
ever materialize, I think is probably fair to say, because then you remember the next F product was the RCF, which mm-hmm. is still a good car. But, you know, it came out and it was like heavy, which the LFA was light. Then it was kind of like a big burly V8. The LFA was a V10. And, it, it, you know, it sort of was like the RCF didn't hit the same way that the ISF and the LFA did. So I think people were like, OK, all right. And then the GSF came out, which even though the GSF is one of my all time favorite cars, you know, yes, everybody knows absolutely. it was $85,000 and 120 horsepower short. <laughs> and so I guess, you know, what I'm getting at really is that F just made some promises that Lexus didn't end up keeping. And yeah, but I, I, I will agree. say if, if I look back at the LFA for what it was, I'm happy that Lexus has a place in history as having built one of the most iconic Japanese performance cars. And, you know, when you think about the reception from like Top Gear and Jeremy Clarkson calling it one of the best cars he's ever driven. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that Lexus is part of that conversation. And we both know that was one of the things they wanted to accomplish. Like, But it was sort that was sort of the thing of like, you know, Lexus is saying it's time for us to build a car that's really at the top tier of the market. And they did it. But I do agree with you that it's truly detached from what Lexus was or who they became in the years after. Well, I think the thing that I get really hung up on is the whole development of that car and the way that they had built an aluminum body mm-hmm. and had decided that was the direction that they were going to go went through all the development of that and then at some point they were like no we're going to go and we're going to build a carbon fiber loom right and we're going to use this carbon fiber loom to weave everything in the car and we're only going to sell 500 of them yeah you remember the whole process of purchasing the lfa and and Lexus was really one of the first places to engage in that kind of pre-sale and mm-hmm. interviewing owners and trying to find the right people to own it. And I mean, you can also take the car from, and I think this is what you're doing. I think you you can take the car as a standalone product. And then of course, it's like one of the greatest cars ever made, right? Right. Like, But that's just not how my brain works. I, <laughs> I, I just yeah. can't take it and look at it as a, as a one-off thing and, and think, oh, it was great that Lexus did that. I would have preferred to, for them to have done something a little bit more accessible. There just seems to be a different kind of conversation around supercars that doesn't exist for normal cars. And it honestly felt like maybe it was upper management at Toyota that wanted to do a new sort of 2000 GT statement. And and I mean, that's what they did. When you think back about the 2000 GT, it's not as though there was any Toyota back then that was even remotely close or that all of a sudden they turned into a performance brand. So mm-hmm. in a way, there is a history to the way that the LFA was released, but I just didn't, I don't know if it was the right direction for the brand. I think they were originally shooting for like 125 to 150 with the aluminum weren't with they the and aluminum, then i think right. yeah yeah and then i think when they realized they basically couldn't do that and it was going to have to be carbon fiber to get what they wanted i think that's when they were like all right we're going to lose money on everyone but let's go ahead and do it the idea i think was like oh well now we're going to start using this carbon fiber loom to produce parts for other vehicles and i mean they did they definitely used it yeah. for the RCF. They, I believe they did it with the ISF later on. I remember there was a carbon fiber uh, trunk lid lip. Yeah, yeah. And all of that stuff would have been built by the same loom. Yeah. You also made a good point about the way that the cars were built and sold. And there were stories at that time of people wanting LFAs and being turned away by Lexus. Remember? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Like there were certain people who Lexus wasn't approving to purchase one. But then the strange thing was towards the end of production for the LFA, they were basically building them and then dealers had bought them. And some of them were still selling, you know, new 
like two yeah. and three years later. <laughs> so, um, you know, the LFA I, was on their sales reports until like 2017. Like they were yeah, selling that car for seven years. Yeah, it was. And, and I remember it even since Lexus started offering a long wheelbase version of the LS and things like ultra luxury packages. It's pretty clear that Lexus has aspirations to be an upmarket top of the pack luxury brand. But when the middle of your tier is like $45,000 RX, X's and ESs, and that's really most of what you sell. 375 is quite a jump. <laughs> yeah. Thinking, you know, if, if Lexus had started with something like a high performance version of the LS or, you know, the supercharged trim of the LX, you know, to start and build the upper end before going that high, I wonder if it might have been a little bit more successful. Well, you, you have to think that the plan was always to release F products of every car in the lineup. You have to think that even yeah. back once they decided to commit to the F brand, like we said, F was conceived as a small group of internal engineers who took an IS and built um, the ISF. You know, they put the, right. the V8 from the LS 600H in there and just kept developing it and then brought it to the upper management and was like, here, we've built this. Why don't we sell this? And they yeah. did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you have to think that when a substantial part of your brand strategy was created behind the scenes with no, you know, uh, connective tissue kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's no marketing direction, you know, with only engineering being the, the driving force. It left Alexis with a decision. Do we make this a pillar of our brand or is it just going to be one off here and one off there? And I think when the ISF came out, the idea was, okay, we're going to do this. We're go There's an opportunity. We're to, committing to, to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's an opportunity for an LSF and there's an opportunity for a GSF. And then they just never showed up. And yeah. why that happened is a mystery that maybe one day will be unraveled. But there definitely seems to be now, you know, and it comes down to the IS 500 and, and the idea, like, here we go. Like, this is what people want. And I think that that sort of acknowledgement of what people want is going to go a long way for Lexus. Yeah, I think that I instead of developing in um, a vacuum as maybe they had been, just the acknowledgement of exterior forces on their lineup, I think is a really positive step. I hope so. You hit on it a minute ago, but the story of the original ISF sounds a lot like the story of the IS 500, even though the IS 500 is not being called ISF. It's pretty clear that the North American team specifically had to make the ask for this car and make it happen the same way that the original team had to make the request and build it and make it happen. So I'm excited about that. I think, you know, you mentioned before that it seems like there's a slightly clearer idea of what performance looks like at Lexus. I think I'm still struggling with that a little bit. There's been F Sport products and now there's F Sport Performance products. The last F product we had, which was, you know, was the GSF, which is now gone. You know, we have these exorbitantly expensive, like $100,000 RCF track editions that we've both been like, does this make sense? Um, <laughs> so, you know, when we talked to Lexus too about, you know, F Sport is handling upgrades and visual appeal. F Sport performance is handling upgrades, visual appeal and performance upgrades. And then F is, you know, full blown, dedicated track vehicle performance car. I hope it ends up that way 
part of what I'm struggling with is we don't have anything to judge that on aside from the IS500. Mm-hmm. So as we've talked about, you know, there needs to be new platforms, like whether they're rear wheel drive or all wheel drive, there needs to be more new engines. You know, it seems like the V8 program is dead. <laughs> so when we think about those types of cars, what are they going to be powered by if they come? So the LFA started a new chapter for Lexus in 2010 and through 2012, and it was a promise of performance and things like that. And like we said, you know, I don't know that it ever really materialized the way that we expected, but it feels like, you know, we're at another critical moment for Lexus where things are changing and things are really improving. So do you feel like this would be the time for another LFA or LFA type car? Hmm. I think with caveats, I, I think okay. that there's definitely an opportunity for Lexus to do something similar to the LFA, but another protracted decade long development cycle. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. I think that all that would do is highlight Lexus's continuing struggle to put out new product. Mm-hmm. I think that that wouldn't be necessarily the best look. But at the same time, within the Lexus lineup currently, there's still remnants of this sort of promise of performance. And that was mm-hmm. always the whole thing about the spindle grill and, and the aggressive looks of the vehicles is that the powertrains didn't necessarily match up with the exterior design of the vehicles. So there's that idea. And I did like the way that the LC came about. I do think that they used the right engine for the LC. I think that the LC as a well-developed on-brand product is very well done. I mm-hmm. think that It fits within the structure that Lexus has. I think that it's obtainable vehicle. And really, I would say that the LC is what the LFA should have been back in 2010. Like Mm -hmm. they would have been smarter to have something in the GT realm. Yeah, less. You're so right. The LC when we got the LFA would have made more sense. Because when I think about a next generation LFA, I don't really think about the LFA at all. I think about the LC and I think about Mm -hmm. the idea of an LCF. You know, we've talked so much about this, like what's next, what's the powertrain that's going to come, what's going to power the next generation of high performance Lexus vehicles. And I mean, there's so much to love about the LC. Like as much as it's not a vehicle for me personally, I still could see a day in my life where I was like, oh, I want an LC. Like- you know, 20 oh, years it's a vehicle now. for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it though. I get it. Yeah. Like, well, it's so easy to look at things through the, your own lens, right? You know, when I look at it, the, we touched on this again in the last episode, but Lexus doesn't have a great track record with coupes. <laughs> so the SC is the only one that's ever lived for two generations this generation of RC, it seems like there's some question marks, but what will happen after that? I think everybody has loved the LC, but the sales numbers, hopefully that thing makes it to a second generation. So I think it's hard to make a case for more coupes. They're going to have to keep some coupe around for the sake of racing. But yeah, how would something like, you know, a next generation LFA work with the LC? And like, I guess where I go to, I think is like, even from a product development perspective and a product, you know, lifetime perspective, Lexus doesn't stay committed to products, especially coupes the same way. Mm-hmm. 
I think actually both the LC and the RC could be a great first chapter and a story that's a very long time to come, but it's going to take commitment. It's like Lexus is going to have to be committed to having a midsize coupe and a full-size coupe and, you know, potentially another sports car. That's three vehicles in a <laughs> in a segment that's continued to diminish. And I guess I, I just love the LC 500 so much that if it's like no next gen LC, but there will be some other like next generation sports car. I'm like, mm, I think Lexus needs to really commit to a second generation of something and try to make that happen before they keep trying new things like SC, RC, LC, LFA. Like let's build some heritage behind something. Well, you know, you could start to think about Toyota as the parent company and you start to think about the markets that Toyota is missing out on where they do not have product. Yeah. And that's where uh, Lexus can bring a lot of value to Toyota in being in these smaller markets in a prestige market where they're able to compete with the best of, of luxury brands. There is something to be said about the value to a brand of selling coupes. I mean, even to this yeah. day and they have their, the meat of their lineup is in the ES and the RX and the, and the NX, NX. and that's fine. Yeah. And so for Lexus to kind of branch out and start doing vehicles within these smaller segments, I think is a potentially good move. And but they, you're right, they do need to be committed to it. And I would hate for this to be the last generation of the RC. Yeah. Because all it does is just add to the narrative that Lexus is wishy-washy on performance. Yeah, agreed. And I, I think that we're at a point now where knowing that the future is direct four and electric and, you know, hybrid and all wheel drive, like, I guess going back to the original point, I could see a case for another quote unquote LFA that's going to show what the next 10 years of Lexus could be like, but it's going to have to be something that's radically different from anything that we know exists right now because Lexus is at that turning point. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if the next car comes and it's got the twin turbo V6 and two electric motors and, you know, all wheel drive with electric motors in each axle and it comes at like seven or 800 horsepower or something. And, you know, it's more of a sports car than a GT car like the LC. And let's say that it costs... 125 or 130 or 140 thousand dollars okay i get it now like that starts yeah. to make sense i just hope there's also a strategy for elc and the rc to live on as well that comes down to again to to my feelings on the lfa in that i feel like it used up a lot of the resources that could have fleshed out the rest of the lineup you know the f versions of the rest of the lineup and that's that's hard to say because the timelines don't really work and I, it mm -hmm. makes sense why that's not what happened. It just seems like uh, maybe a, the wrong direction for Lexus to go and make another LFA. There, I think that there's something that could potentially fill the void of that car, but I don't think it would be anywhere near the same car. Mm -hmm. And the other point to think about as well is knowing that we are here with the rollout of the new NX and next year, we're looking at new RX, new TX, new RZ at some point in the next two years we're going to be looking at new LS and new ES. Lexus has a lot of other stuff going on too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they need to focus on getting the core right for these things that will help build the ladder for something like an ultra luxury or, or ultra sporty product. I think there's certainly a way to do it. I can see it being possible that a, such a car could set the tone for the future. I just hope that it ends up being something that they can be committed to, that delivers, that's not too expensive, and that makes a mark in the market and says something about Lexus. 
Well, and I think that it comes down to neither you nor I were ever in, (laughs) we're never debating whether we should buy an LFA or not. And, you know, but I think it would be really interesting for us to kind of bring in somebody that actually did buy an LFA and and kind of get their take on the idea of the second generation. What great timing. I totally agree. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. We're just going to bring in LFA owner 265, Charity Lee who uh, has the only lapis lazuli LFA in the world. Hi, Cherry. <laughs> Hi, how are you guys? Doing Good. well. How are you? Doing very well, Good. of course. <laughs> I'm about to talk about my favorite thing in the world, so I'm great. <laughs> awesome. We love that. So, Charity, when we get this kicked off, can you tell us a little bit about your decision to get an LFA in the first place? Like, what made you guys think, we really want this car, we need this car, and when you were thinking through colors and options and things like that? Walk us through it a little bit. Okay. Well, I actually started following the development of the LFA later than other people, but as soon as I discovered it, I was completely hooked, soaking in everything that I could. And then January of 2010, we went to the Detroit Auto Show and we were very lucky to be there the day before the show opened. And one of the things that was part of it was a Lexus luncheon that was hosted by Paul Williamson. Oh, and yes. they were presenting the LFA and I just about lost it. I'm <laughs> really this was custom tailored for me. But um, <laughs> We sat down at a table, you know, that was assigned for us and there were some other people there and we're talking with them. And then Paul got up on the stage and the lady that I was chatting with was still talking. And I had to, as nicely as possible, turn to her and say, would you mind being quiet? I really want to listen to this presentation. <laughs> oh, man. And we are actually still friends with those people today. And she still talks about me shushing her. Oh, <laughs> man. People never do that. They don't want to listen. You just go for the lunch and all of that. But yeah, it was, I mean, that was already a dream come true because now we still know Paul Williamson. That was phenomenal to get to do that. He's your neighbor now, isn't he? Yes, he sure is. Yeah. Dinner with him not too long ago. Yeah, no, he's a great friend. Good guy. Yeah. Um, And then that evening we went over to the top of the MGM Grand there and the matte black LFA was there. Mm -hmm. And I spent as much time as possible. I mean, I'd go over, you know, and I'd take a look at the spiker and then back to the LFA. And then, you know, oh, Bentley, yeah. back to the LFA. Ferraris, Lamborghinis, yeah. LFA. And I just spent the whole time, you know, just looking at every detail and everything, just loving it. Were you thinking about different supercars at the time? Like, was it just one of a few that you were looking at at the time? I had always loved cars. I grew up with my dad just sitting in the garage. Daddy, can I help with anything? You know, riding with him, you know, in cars that he had built. And so I'd always loved cars, but nothing had ever spoken to me like the LFA did. You see them, they're beautiful. It's, oh, it's pretty, but it's not a, oh, I really want that. I cannot even tell you how this car tugged at my heart. It just, Mm -hmm. I, we just, we are one. (laughs) (laughs) But fast forward a couple months to March 
of 2010, we actually got to go to Germany and we were at the Nürburgring with Sabina Schmitz, God oh, rest yes. her soul. Yeah. And it was the day before a 24-hour race. So they were all practicing, but we got to go on with the queen of the ring for a lap. That girl has got a mouth on her whenever somebody gets in her <laughs> way. <laughs> it, was, it was fantastic. But her paddock right next door was the LFA team. Oh, yes. Yeah. And yeah, right. so I got to see it in person. I got to hear it. And I was out next to the track, watching it go by, waiting for it. I'm with the queen of the ring, and <laughs> my attention is completely diverted to the next one. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't know how to choose. But it was it was phenomenal. So my husband, Robert, got to you know see both of these things. And he tells me now, he says, it was undeniable how much you loved this car. So he actually pursued it. We got a card from Paul Rahofsky from the Lexus Luncheon. And when it went on sale, he called and they were all gone. Oh, no. So he oh. Actually, well, yeah, I mean, it, they went so fast. People, of course, desired them. So Robert actually told me, he said, I, I know this wasn't anything that you thought you know, we would have. But he said, I just wanted to let you know that all of the LFAs are sold. I'm so sorry. No, I didn't think so. But I said, oh, I didn't think that we would have one, but thank you for telling me. And an involuntary tear fell down my face. Oh, no. It just, oh, it was so hard. And so he comforted me and he was like, I'm so sorry. It was still such a hard thing to hear that they were all gone. And then, unbeknownst to me, Paul Rahofsky gave him a call sometime later whenever the other countries pushed there. So what, it was 150 originally here, and then right. I think it went up yeah. to 172. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when those other cars came in, Paul Rahofsky gave my husband a call and said, hey, are you sitting down? Do you still want an LFA? It actually, Robert surprised me with it. And oh, my God. I, yeah. <laughs> no, wow. He, he <laughs> took me out to dinner. It was Janai Weaver was our specialist oh, yeah. to help me configure. And then we had the manager from our Lexus dealership. And I came in, and there's these two strangers. And, hi, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea who you are, but... And then they handed me the letter that said, congratulations, you are now the owner of an LFA. And yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's an all-timer right there. Crazy small world mode. Janai was actually my boss when I worked at Lexus. And right after I oh. left, she started the LFA program. So that's so cool. Oh, Fabulous person. Yeah, yeah she love, is. She's awesome. meeting her. <laughs> so that was the decision to, to get it. That's awesome. And I know that you actually went to the factory in Japan and saw them being built. Is yes. that right? Yeah. Yes, sure did. If I can compare that experience to anything, not that I've done this either, but it would be like going to heaven to watch your baby being made. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah, it's kind of the closest thing that I could think would be, you know, right? It was, that was an amazing experience. I'm so glad that they put that together. I know they were very hesitant about bringing people to Motomachi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was fantastic to get to see every piece put together. You know, it wasn't my car. We actually had planned it to hopefully be there around the time that my car was being built. But of course, with the tsunami, everything got oh, pushed right, of course. Yeah. a little bit. But yeah, getting to see all of the cars go across the line and getting to see the different types of carbon fiber 
culture and how they apply it and, and watching how meticulous they are about mounting the engine. I mean, they would go down in these small increments and stop and you know, move it just a little bit so that nothing touched as it was being mounted. It was just like air just going down. Yeah. And then they record all of these major things, the tolerances to which the bolts are torqued. That's recorded. <laughs> that's written down. I've got a book you know, that tells me all of those things. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's crazy. And to, and getting to see that braider and going and it was just fantastic. Also, we asked and they were kind enough. They actually took us out to the test track and we got a ride around that test track with Amano-san in the LFAs. So wow. he was their tester and it's a very short track. I'm, I can't recall the exact distance of it, but very short, you know, maybe a kilometer or a little less, you know, Amano-san, he would push the LFAs as hard as he could because he did not want to put any more miles on them than needed. But what I recall specifically is got in, you know, very poison everything he pushed it so hard that in that short period he was sweating bullets <laughs> coming down his face every, you know, at the end of our our drive so that was that was just amazing wow it's been a couple years since you've had your lfa can you tell us a little bit about what the ownership experience has been like in that time Oh, absolutely. I've actually owned her for nine years. Her birthday is February 25th. That is the day that I got her. So we've had parties. Just letting you know. Yeah. I love it. But oh my gosh. Even after owning her for over nine years, I am still astounded by the fact that there's an LFA in my garage. Every time I go out there, it is amazing. I can still remember dreaming about her being parked in the garage, mm -hmm. and which I keep referring to her as a her because her name is Nozomi. It means wish in Japanese, but it is also the name or what they call the fastest bullet train in Japan. Oh, wow. That's really oh. cool. That is the class. It's a Nozomi class. So, <laughs> Well, I, but, once you name your car, you know that it's a pretty special uh, relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, she is Nozomi and Nozomi-chan. How many uh, kilometers have you put on it? Or not I, kilometers. How many miles have you put on it? Yeah, yeah we're, we're miles here. It is just under 5,700. Wow. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So special occasions I, only. Well, it's difficult here in Texas. I think there would be a lot more miles on her if we had the beautiful winding roads of California or Germany. Mm -hmm. right. Here it is a lot of straight roads and a lot of times construction and dirt and things that I usually have to go out and vet a route before I want to take Nozomi on it. <laughs> Because, yeah. Well, I guess there's sometimes I don't want to drop off and you know, scrape the underside and it just, yeah, so it's... It's funny that you say that because I had an LFA in uh, Southern California. I only had it for a couple of days. And before I took it, I had to map out the direction back to our apartment there because they didn't have like speed bumps. They had speed dips. So uh -oh. I had to like uh -oh. make a, a route that did not take me anywhere near them. So I, if I was like that with somebody else's car, I can only imagine what it would be <laughs> yeah. like with my own car. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I and I got to say too, Kevin heard me mention it when I was in Texas, but exactly as you said, Charity, first of all, I live in Atlanta and people here drive pretty quickly. But when I was in Texas, it was like 80 to 85 was pretty much like the going speed limit on the highway. And there was also so much construction that there was like rock and chips and like cement literally just flying off trucks on the highway. And I was like, I can't imagine driving in this every day. So I totally understand how you feel. And I would feel the exact same way. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, early morning drives are usually the best. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, we, we have certain places that we go. We'll take her out to dinner certain times as long as we know the staff there so that they allow me to park it myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've had plenty of people come over to the driver door and you know trying to unlock and like, like, nope, not unlocking it because you're not getting in here. <laughs> right. <laughs> what would you say is your favorite part about the LFA? Oh my goodness. That's like asking somebody to pick their favorite child. It is something that if you asked me, maybe whenever I first got the car, maybe I could have told you, but at the same time, I spent so much time looking at it that I love so many pieces of it. It is everything put together that makes it. I mean, I I love it that whenever I slide into the seat, I feel like I'm home. (laughs) And whenever I start the engine, the shutter that goes down my spine is just every single time. It's just beautiful. I, I have such a warmth in my heart when I put the visor down on the driver's side because Tanahashi san signed it for me. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, so the chief engineer of of the LFA, that would be. Yes. We actually met him in Germany at the Nürburgring. The September before my car was delivered, Lexus put together an event and invited a few owners to the Nürburgring to drive the LFA. They rented the track for the day and Tanahashi-san was there. He and I are very good friends even now because we just connected. I mean, that's his car, that's his creation. And I love, love, love his creation. So we we got to be very good friends there at Nürburgring. Amazing. You were mentioning a little bit before about kind of like mapping out some routes and things before you drive them. What is your daily driver car? Daily driver, I, I have a couple that I drive, but I would say on the largest basis, I drive a 2013 GS. Okay. Oh, nice pick. Yeah. And I cannot believe they killed that off. I know. I love the GS. <laughs> I know. Did you ever drive a GSF? I have not gotten to yet. I would love to drive one. If you ever have the yeah. chance. Yeah. Yeah. I. That's what I have heard, that it, it's just a beast and a fun beast. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. It has a good dual personality, very much like a normal car. And then yes. if you really want to, you can really turn it up. Yeah. Now, I know that you're saying how much you love the LFA. And yes. I have to ask, like, if there was one change that you could make about it, if Lexus was to make a new one, there, is there anything about it that you feel could be upgraded or, or changed in any way? I would not change one single thing. <laughs> <laughs> Not one. <laughs> and do you think that they should make another LFA? I, I don't have a strong opinion one way or another on that. What I do know is the love that I have for what I do have. So it's not, it wouldn't change mm-hmm. my feeling for right. it one single bit if they did. And if they did produce another one, I think it would be the name badge only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless they were to fire up Motomachi again and get everybody back and add on to the 500, that's the only way it would be the LFA. Right. Otherwise, it it wouldn't have the same feel. It wouldn't have the same spirit, the the history behind it. Yeah, it would. But yeah. Oh, that's amazing. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, I love talking to you guys. Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank Absolutely. you so much. Okay, that was awesome. Very cool. Yeah. She's very passionate about the car. Yeah, you can tell. I almost asked yeah. her, like, have you have you been seeing the prices LFAs are going for? Would you consider selling yours? But I know that like, you can I, tell she that, loves the car so much it's priceless. No. Well, Kevin, I'd say any day where we're able to talk about LFAs and talk to an LFA owner is probably one of the best days. <laughs> so, yes, absolutely. So maybe we'll end on a high note. You know, it's it's a lot of fun to think about always what the future might be and what it might hold, but it's also cool to talk to somebody who owns one of the greatest pieces of Lexus history in the meantime. So we'll have to stay tuned and, and see what happens. Thank you all so much for joining us and we'll be back again soon. Yes, thank you everybody. Take care. Take care.